This podcast is brought to you by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. For more podcasts and video clips, visit STVP's Educators Corner at edcorner.stanford.edu. Well, uh, our next speaker uh, is uh, not only president of the Kauffman Foundation, but uh, was recently dubbed by The Economist as being the evangelist of entrepreneurship. Uh, he is uh, a phenomenal leader. Uh, he has been tapped just recently uh, by the Secretary of Commerce to lead the nation's uh, committee on measuring innovation. Uh, he is a well-published author recently with The Entrepreneurial Imperative, and soon to come out with a book called Good Capitalism, Bad Capitalism in May, uh, which uh, uh, we, we can provide you information about. Carl, though, uh, has uh, been an entrepreneur himself. He started many companies in the technology and healthcare arena uh, and uh, has uh, run a trade association. Um, but... Best of all, for those of us that have the privilege of knowing him and working with him, uh, he's an outstanding leader and someone that uh, I know that you'll enjoy listening to as much as we do. So please join me in a warm welcome to Carl Schramm, president of the Kauffman Foundation. Thank you, John. Thank you. Uh, John, is this on? Yes. John didn't tell you because he was smart that I was trained as an economist and was a professor for 14 years at Johns Hopkins. Uh, so you've all buckled down because <laughs> an economist is going to talk to you. Um, the one thing I learned to keep kids from walking out in the five minutes, first five minutes was to say something that was useful immediately. And what I want to talk about is what entrepreneurship is in a much larger context, but visit immediately with you about why it is you're here and give you a few thoughts to take away that you will take a long time uh, to, to think about, and you will hear them influence your life in years to come. First thought, if we take a look at all the children, excuse me, all the students on university campuses in the United States right now, the probability is that 70% of all those students will start a business before they retire. It is as common to start a business for an American college student as it is to anticipate marriage or parenthood. Second thought. When John and I graduated from college, government statistics would have forecast for us, which is about right, that we would hold four jobs before we were 65. Government statistics right now suggest that those of you who will graduate from Stanford at the age of 22 will hold four jobs before you're 30. Now, policy wonks in Washington are all in a twither about that. My view is this is the American economy working at a completely different speed and along completely different premises. We have gone from industrial bureaucratic capitalism to entrepreneurial capitalism. Think about it this way. Do you know how valuable you're going to be to your employer when you're 30? You will have worked in different industries. By the way, I forgot to say that among the four employers, the chances are very high that one of those employers will be you or somebody you know right now in college with you. Here's a third fact. 
In the American economy, to illustrate the point I made about us becoming entrepreneurial capitalists, over half of the jobs created this year in this economy are in firms less than five years old. Entrepreneurship is central to the vitality of this economy, absolutely positively central. We have become a completely different type of an economy. Let's visit with one statistic. This is a statistic that's driven by technology. It's a statistic that economists can't deal with. Politicians are totally clueless about this. I remember a discussion in the year 2003 among fancy pants economists in Washington. And the discussion was, we have just experienced an acceleration in the rate of productivity in the United States. If you look at all output compared to all input, we had reached the 19, excuse me, in 2003, the highest rate ever, ever seen in human history. Unbelievably, it has accelerated every year since 2003. Economists are clueless about this. This is a fantastic outcome. And it's fantastic when we consider that this happens in a period of very little inflation and total full employment which, by the way, is critical for this entrepreneurial economy to continue only in America, as they say. Can people take risk with almost impunity? If you go start the nuttiest business tomorrow and it fails next week, you've got a job. That's one reason that in the United States, the rate of job create, excuse me, the rate of company founding is at least two magnitudes greater than the next closest country. You know, they used to say that England was a nation of shopkeepers. Ours is truly a nation of entrepreneurs, and it is critical and vital to us in the growth of our economy, and I dare say all of civilization that hangs on the success of the American economy, that this continues. Now, a lot of people don't really understand this. By the way, there is a great story in the Wall Street Journal today, uh, not just about one fantastic university leader, okay, who is a fantastic university leader, particularly of this university, because he had been an entrepreneur. But there's a great story on the editorial page by our chief economist at the Kauffman Foundation. And it talks about what we must do to keep propelling the rate of entrepreneurship forward. This is a very important phenomenon that we want to see continue to grow. One of the things that we must do is make this economy open to immigrants. As you all know, right in this neighborhood, in the last decade, at least one quarter of the new starts have been by people not born in the United States. This is vital to us, and it also points up one reason it's vital to us. It's because if there's one area of our economy that is not experiencing productivity gains, if there's one area of our economy that has no notion of what it means to be entrepreneurial, and tragically, if there's one area of our economy where entrepreneurs and innovators ought to be preconditioned, it's in our junior high schools and in our senior high schools. They are from a different economy, a different century, a different culture. And many of you know that because you overcame it to get here. But that points out a real challenge to what we have to do in terms of continuing to reform the American economy. 
I want to end by just a few words. And actually, I want to talk about what we're doing with Entrepreneurship Week. This is an idea that we first saw articulated in England. Imagine that. And why was that? Because as English policymakers, principally the Chancellor of the Exchequer, looked into the American economy, as all economies do. You know, don't be misled if you're not an economist. If you're an engineer, you can make this mistake. Okay. If you say to me, well, we're growing at 3% GDP growth. What about the Chinese economy growing at 9%? I say back to you, every economist understands the Chinese economy only grows at 9% because the American economy grows at 3%. No economy in history has ever grown like ours. We've grown at 3% for 100 years. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But because we grow, and people try to understand this mystery all over the world, they come to America increasingly with one great question. How is it that we make our economy like the American economy? And it always translates into how we become more entrepreneurial. One person who asked this question was Gordon Brown, Chancellor of the Exchequer, likely to be the next Prime Minister of uh, Britain. And when he asked this question, he came back with a view that entrepreneurship was critical to the rebirth of the British economy. Gordon Brown taught us. Gordon Brown started the first, they never get English quite right over there, Enterprise Week. He meant to say <laughs> Entrepreneurship Week. You have to forgive people over there. You know, I, I think if there's one witticism you must credit to George Bush, it's his observation about the French economy. The reason it's in trouble is they don't have a word for entrepreneur. <laughs> anyway, um, I, by the way, want to point out something. Gordon Brown, who is one of the most entrepreneurial politicians in the world, called the Kauffman Foundation in Kansas City uh, two years ago last November. And the question came, if I say tomorrow in Parliament that there's going to be a new fellowship program in entrepreneurship, uh, will you take that fellowship program at the Kauffman Foundation? Now, nobody calls a foundation worth billions of dollars and says, would you take money from us, a government? Nobody ever does that, right, John? It's unheard of. So uh, I said yes, and the next thing you know, uh, we had 16 fellows, and some of them were sharing with, there they are. Would you stand up? These are the Kauffman Global Scholars in Entrepreneurship. Okay. <laughs> And Stanford is kind enough uh, to host these uh, guys. They're all young men. I don't know what's going on in England. Okay. Uh, but here they are, and maybe next year uh, we'll have some uh, young women come with them. And, and we're delighted that they're here and that they could spend some time on your campus. Now, last word. And this is the critical part about understanding what entrepreneurs are. And since most of you are going to be one, understand what sits on your shoulder. Entrepreneurs do three great things. The first thing they do is they birth the new. I like to say that entrepreneurs teach us about human needs we didn't know we needed. You think about it. I had a chit chat with my son the other day. He came into my study and he was looking for something and I opened my bottom desk drawer and in there was an old cell phone, uh, which used to be called car phone, okay? An old Palm Pilot and from a long time ago, 
a Sony device that you put uh, cassettes in and ran with, and you could attach it here. And I said to Ben, I said, Ben, this is like the museum of spent technology, okay? But it makes a great illustration about things that we didn't even know we needed. When we were kids running around a track, it was inconceivable that we could play the music we wanted to coming generated off of our belt, okay? And here it is, the iPod. And God knows what's going on. The iPod passed that, you know, in, t in time, we're not going to have wires into our heads. We may have chips. We just haven't a clue. But look at the speed at which this happens. It's entrepreneurs who see needs that we don't know we need. And while I use illustrations of consumer goods, you think about the applications under the hood of your car that prevents you from having accidents. You think about aerospace that's going to let us move at unbelievable speeds between countries. You think about medicine where we're a few years away from having a specific, genomically adjusted and engineered drug for your liver, which is different from your husband's liver. The second thing entrepreneurs do, I've already touched on, they create jobs. They give security to other people. We are us our entrepreneurs. We are the generators of social welfare. And the third thing that entrepreneurs do is they create wealth. It's the only way we know in capitalism to start wealth happening. Every time an entrepreneur takes a risk, he or she rebirths democratic capitalism. And by the way, there's this trend. Uh, I see there's going to be a comment. There's going to be a seminar on this tomorrow on social entrepreneurship. And let me just say to you, every entrepreneur is a social entrepreneur. Don't make any mistake about it. Entrepreneurs birth the new. They give jobs to other people, which is the most secure and dignified way to improve social welfare. And they generate all the wealth, all the wealth, every single penny of the wealth that the nonprofit sector gives away. Don't make any mistake about it. Now, to make that point in double, double red, crimson, or whatever the Stanford color is, let's consider, <laughs> let us consider Cardinal, uh, let us consider Leland Stanford, and let us consider Ewing Kaufman. And Ewing Kaufman, along with John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Mellon, Henry Ford, and Bill Gates, have a lot in common, like all the other great giftors who create the Great American Foundation. Every single one of them, every one of them, apart from the fact that none of them went to college, okay, they dropped out, okay, they couldn't wait to get going. Every one of them was an entrepreneur. Every single one of them. And some of them, in addition to creating their foundations, also can't wait to change education. So Leland Stanford was a third type of entrepreneur. He creates a special university that teaches practical stuff because those kids who come from Eastern colleges are useless to him in his railroad, okay? <laughs> and I dare say they still are, okay? <laughs> now, all these entrepreneurs 
if they're not busy creating a brand new event in America, all of our big, private, great research universities. I taught at Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins invents the Baltimore and Ohio, the first railroad. Cornell is the invention of Ezra Cornell, who gave us Western Union. Carnegie and Mellon. Vanderbilt, who puts together the New York Central. Leland Stanford. Eastman Kodak produces, George Eastman produces not only the great University of Rochester, but is unheralded for being the greatest beneficiary at MIT. He saves MIT. These, these non-college people birth the research university because they see it as important to the progress of capitalism from which they benefited so greatly to create a place for the invention of knowledge that will move our economic system along. Likewise, these, these foundations. Ewing Kaufman is the first creator of a foundation who says, support entrepreneurship. And common to all these foundation beginners, he is born poor, Rockefeller, born at Richland Springs, New York, uh, an hour away from Cornell University, a crossroads that is today dust as it was dust then. They see their transit from poverty to enormous wealth. And it's Ewing Kaufman who said two things did that. I knew how to do mathematics from high school. I knew how to do mathematics. I'm, I'm creating a foundation that will teach mathematics and science. And I became an entrepreneur. America was a great place. It permitted me, a poor farm boy, to die a billionaire several times over. And this transit, this growth of my own dignity, this ability to self-actualize, this ability to be authentic, to give my creativity over into the creation of a business could only happen in America. I want my money to advance this dream. That's what entrepreneurship is about. That is the dream of the people on whose shoulders we stand. It's the dream of Leland Stanford to reinvent the American economy by helping to produce generations of brilliant, brilliant students who could reinvent, recreate, innovate, and become entrepreneurs. That's the vision of all those founders of foundations. But in particular, it's the vision of Ewing Kaufman. We've been in partnership with the Stanford University since the first days of our foundation. I think we have some new stuff coming up, John, for your law school, which your dean will tell you about shortly, uh, that we're very, very excited about. We're going to look to the Stanford Law School to talk to America about how it is that the law is being used to stop progress, to stop innovation, to stop technological process, and to think about ways to reinvent, to innovate, to become entrepreneurial about how the rules of our life are set. And I think it's a great marriage that our foundation and this really spectacular and splendid university uh, that has grown so much under this extraordinary presidency that you enjoy uh, have come together to create this week and we're delighted. And there's no better place on the globe to kick this off than at Stanford. Thanks for having us. <laughs>